One, two, three. Welcome to Highest Potential with Dr. Steve Pettit, a podcast that explores the many ways Bob Jones University is advancing God's kingdom through Christian education with the biblical worldview. I'm Daniel Lehman, a current student at BJU and co-host for this podcast. Well, welcome to our podcast at The Highest Potential. I'm Steve Pettit, president of Bob Jones University, and we have with us Daniel Lehman. Hello, hello. Daniel is a student here at Bob Jones, a senior. Yes, sir. So uh, what's what's been up? By the way, it's pretty nice outside. It is a beautiful, nice 60 degrees outside. I am I am To be exact, it. it's 64 degrees. Uh, on February the 10th, I'll take it. Me too. I'll Every take day. it all day. Every day, all day. <laughs> Well, uh, this podcast, we're going to talk about your favorite subject. Favorite. COVID. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, uh, a conversation. But let's, let's uh, so give us, maybe just give us the overall feel right now, the campus right now in COVID. Yeah, obviously, it definitely affected the university. I'm at the weird spot where I came in with the last crew that knew what the university was like before COVID happened. Oh yeah. You and were, you were like a pre COVID yes, student. Yeah. I was. My class is the last one that knew what school was like before, before COVID yeah. a full, a full year what yeah. it was like. So it definitely changed. And this, this past semester, you know, we had all been through a full year of it. So I think everyone knew what to expect. We kind of knew we could possibly have to, you know, have some restrictions come in and whatnot, but as of right now, the second semester, once everyone came back, it's been, it's been very mild. Uh, I was one actually. I, I got COVID earlier in the semester. I had it with a couple of buddies of mine, but we made the most of it. They had wonderful you, accommodations you were, for you us. Were, you were in the isolation dorm. I was in the isolation dorm. Was it so. a party dorm? Uh, well, with the people I'm with, it made it very enjoyable. I'll put it that way for okay. you, Doc. Oh, was I good. wasn't suffering at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But overall, it, you, it was more like a cold. Yeah, pretty much. Like I had a little sore throat. Lord was gracious there, but um, I had it very mild. I don't think too many students or I haven't heard anyone talking about COVID or thinking about it lately. Okay. At our age, no one really has. Every, been life really, is moving on. Li- life's moving on. It's like we got other stuff to do. We're enjoying the nice weather. Let's just keep her moving. Well, today on our show, we have Dr. Bernard Cadio. He is the director of our um, our uh, global health a major. He has uh, been on with us before as we have talked to him about COVID. And I wanted to bring him on today uh, because now we've been into this almost two years. Uh, Dr. Cadio is an expert. He has his PhD uh, in global health. He is a medical mm-hmm. doctor. He was a member of the World Health Organization. He has taken us through this whole process to help us understand really what COVID is all about and how to respond to it. And it's been under his leadership, along with our, our uh, health task force, that we actually, by God's grace, have done very wonderful here. And so I decided to ask him some of the questions that were maybe the elephants in the room mm. about COVID. Uh, they, they were um, maybe tadly, tad a little bit more controversial, but I wanted to get his take on it in his own unique and special way. He gave us some wonderful uh, answers. So I think you'll really enjoy this uh, as we talk today with Dr. Cadia. Well, today we are uh, so honored and delighted to have back with us Dr. Bernard Cadio. Dr. Cadio, thanks for being with us. It's good to be here. Oh, we're so <laughs> delighted you're here. Uh, Dr. Cadio is a professor here at Bob Jones University. He is uh, over our global health um, 
uh, major here. He teaches key classes. Uh, Dr. Cadio is originally from the Ivory Coast. He was led to Christ while he was a teenager. And then he went on to get his, uh, his MD, his doctor's mm-hmm. degree in, uh, in the Ivory Coast. And from there, he, was, he studied in both uh, uh, Egypt and mm-hmm. France. Mm-hmm. And then he got his Ph.D. in global health uh, from uh, Ottawa, Canada. Yeah. Yes. And then mm-hmm. the process we had where we've told the story where he met mm-hmm. some of our students with one of our professors on a missions trip and then ended up... Uh, because of the influence of their lives, came to Bob Jones University. And so uh, I wanted Dr. Cadio to come on the program today to uh, let, let's talk about let's talk about our favorite subject, COVID, and uh, and sort of get um, a big picture. And we're, what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to talk about where things are right now. Sure. And we're going to look back a little bit at some decisions that have been made and maybe maybe some problems and mistakes. And our goal is just to give a greater clarity for our people. Dr. Cadio has been such a help for us here at the university, sort of to cut through all of the media and the politics that are involved to try to get down to what do we need to do. So uh, Dr. Cadio, thank you. And uh, maybe I should start with, uh, tell us tell us where COVID is right now. Well, again, thank you for having me today. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here. And, uh, and uh, COVID-19, we have spent almost uh, three years now in, uh, in COVID-19. And uh, today we are facing a new variant, Omicron. And uh, uh, we are hearing from uh, the global community that there is also, uh, and the Omicron, actually we call them the sisters Omicron because we have the initial Omicron and uh, the uh, strain, and uh, the omis- uh, initial Omicron strain divided into in two subvariants called BA1 and uh, BA2. And currently in the B- US, BA2, yeah, BA2, it's BA.1, BA.2. And currently in the US, we are facing BA.1. And in some countries in Europe, uh, Denmark, for example, uh, they have BA2, so it's kind of expected that we will have BA2 at one point here in the U.S. And so uh, maybe t- let's talk a little bit about the the Omicron variant and what makes it different from Delta and then the original. Uh, absolutely. Um in the public health community, we call Omicron the good news, actually. It's called, uh, some say that it's a free vaccination. Uh, Omicron, from a uh, viral standpoint, uh, is very different from Delta. In that, in the initial, in, in for example, BA1, there is the spike protein. And the spike protein is the protein that made uh, Delta so uh, uh, virulent. So in the Omicron, there is a deletion. There is no expression of the spike protein. Okay, so the spike protein is not in it. It's not not there in B1. Okay. Uh, But uh, anything else is there except for uh, the spike protein. So the spike protein (laughs) is what? uh, Made Delta so virulent. Okay. Actually, it's a very uh, uh, inflammatory protein and triggers inflammation in the body. I see. So we didn't have it for B1. So uh, the good news is that uh, so th- it was kind of a bad news and a good news. So uh, the, 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 the good news is that when you produce antibodies against Omicron BA1, 
those antibodies are going to help you fight Delta. Ah, I see. So okay. basically, uh, Omicron stopped the Delta wave. Okay, so Omicron was like a vaccination. Almost. Correct. Yeah. So that it stopped the Delta wave. That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is that it's so transmissible that so many people will still have it, which to some extent is okay, but in the same time it keeps kind of that idea that of uh, the pandemic going. going. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. here, at, here at Bob Jones, I would <laughs> say that you know, people ask me how things are going with, with uh, COVID-19. I say, well, uh, it, it still hangs over our head. Correct. But Correct. So, therefore, instead of being um, actually viewing it as a vaccination, as you have said, <laughs> uh, we, we, it, it, it has a more of a discouraging side to it. Uh, definitely. But it would be more like a flu season. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And tell us about BA2 and how do you think that that uh, would be? BA2 is different uh, because uh, with BA2, it looks like to what we are hearing from countries um, um, that are doing the sequencing. We are hearing that BA2 has the spike protein. But the good news with BA2 is that when you have, have BA1, your antibodies can stop BA2. I see. Okay. So... This is what is giving that uh, air of uh, hope in the public health communities. And we are seeing some countries like um, the northern countries in Denmark, Sweden, Norway. They are lifting up or they are removing all the restrictions, actually, and even the UK, because they feel like uh, probably we are seeing light at the end of the tunnel. So it'd be more uh, instead of a pandemic, more endemic. endemic yeah. yeah, we are we are kind of moving from the pandemic phase to an endemic phase. So, uh, when do you see BA two perhaps coming? We uh, we are not quite sure yet because Omicron was so prevalent in the U.S. Still the, is, yeah, yeah BA one, and that we are thinking. I mean. 60% of the cases in Denmark now are, are BO2. So in general, we have seen like a two to three weeks gap okay. between Europe and the U.S. Okay. So uh, we can, it looks like it, it's still going to be that time frame. So we have the original COVID. What, what <laughs> was our name for that? Just Not COVID. quite, yeah. Okay, yeah, then you have the Delta uh, variant. Alpha, yes. You can so you call have it Alpha, alpha then Beta, and then Delta, and Delta. then now Omicron. Yeah. Omicron. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. do you see... Anything beyond Omicron? It's it's possible. It's possible, but we are no more dealing with a naive population anymore. Right. So that's the good news. So even if we have other variants coming, uh, it, it's very likely that it, the expression is not going to be that uh, symptomatic as the first uh, four variants. So uh, I'd like us then now to transition to, I'd like us to take some time to talk about vaccinations okay vaccines Mm -hmm. and what i would like to do is obviously it's such a politically uh, such a political um uh you know struggle with people and lightning rod you know uh you know people get a vaccination then they get they get covid people have been vaccinated two shots three shots boosters um uh some people have not had any vaccination uh, they got COVID, they're fine. But what I would like to really maybe talk about is, is because that's so political and emotional, you know, uh, people are being put out of the military, people are losing their jobs, all of those kind of things. 
I think maybe if you could help us understand what is the current value of the vaccine that was made or your Pfizer, your Moderna, that kind of thing, then why is it that people get COVID even though they've been vaccinated? Um, yeah, the, uh, the, I think the, one of the biggest problems that we run into was the problem of terminology. Because when uh, you tell the average individual, okay, we have a vaccine, uh, then we have a vaccine. But, uh, and then uh, later on... So a vaccine is like an all-encompassing statement. Correct. Meaning that if you take it, you're going to be okay. Co- 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 correct. Yeah. Correct. So, so uh, probably the public health community didn't do a, a good job in, uh, in the communication in dealing uh, with the vaccines. Um, number one, the thing that we, we should say is... Uh, Vaccine, we have, based on the data, the current data from the CDC and from all the public health agencies around the, the, the world, we see that vaccines, um, if we want to call them vaccines, they, they were very useful, but to a certain age group. I see. For, to a certain age group. And probably a good risk-benefit analysis, not only for the vaccine, but even for COVID-19 should have been conducted at, in the beginning of the pandemic to kind of identify precisely what age group was the most at risk for this disease right? and then target, conduct, uh, then conduct some targeted interventions mm-hmm. for, for that age, specific age group. And we know that group today. We know based on data from, for example, from the UK, we know that uh, the mortality is very, very high in individuals over the age of 80, for example. Right. And uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, probably we should have. It would have been. A, we would have done a better job as public health interventions if we targeted that age group for the vaccine. And again, as I said, should we have called it a vaccine? We kind of run out of terminology there because what we don't have a better word to absolutely, say. Absolutely, absolutely. Because uh, the, the, uh, number one, the technology that was used, uh, uh, focusing on just one spike protein, for example, when you have over 29 different proteins expressed by the virus, uh, uh, by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And, and focusing on one to design the, uh, the response, the vaccine. So the vaccine was made for one particular response. Correct. But it couldn't cover the entire. Correct. Which typically, with, as I understand vaccines, it takes three to five years to work through all this. Uh, definitely. And yeah. uh, under the pressure of emergency, we needed to come out with something. And, uh, and also probably it would have been better to make, it, to make it a distinction between those who have the natural immunity, those who are sick with a disease, and because now the CDC has some very robust data showing that individuals who have had the disease naturally are very well protected and even more protected than individuals who have had the vaccine, for example. Right. So uh, a blind approach to public health is never good news. And and this was more of a blind approach. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, So so, uh, I have a lot of thoughts going along the line. Uh, (laughs) Where we are currently today is, you know, you're hearing that, that vaccines can be taken for children five years old and under. And uh, we understand vaccinations. I mean, I, I had vaccinations all 
growing up years. And it, I know this is a point blank question, but wh- what would be the value for a, a child five years old and under to get a vaccination for COVID? Um, especially given that the vaccine does not prevent individuals from transmitting the disease because the initial rationale was that um, uh, children, though they might not express very um, difficult symptoms, uh, yet will be able to pass the disease. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, the idea there was to stop the transmission. And, uh, and, uh, but unfortunately, we have data showing that vaccines were not, uh, will not do that. So uh, again, the public health community will look back after this, all this is over and uh, kind of say, oh, we made some mistakes in our approach. And, uh, and this is science. Sci- there is no, science is always evolving, right? And the science learn from mistakes, right? And then build on new ideas, and this is how science has evolved. So it would seem mm-hmm. like for a child at five years old to get COVID uh, is going to be like getting a flu and build up antibodies, whereas the vaccination is not going to really serve that purpose. Uh, so this is what the data show. Okay. Yep. Um, I want to. I want to. Um, I want to go, one of the things that we talked about earlier that I think uh, this is this is looking back, you know, and learning. We, we had talked earlier about, you know, when, when COVID came out uh, and we, we, we were waiting for the vaccine, waiting for the vaccine, waiting for the vaccine. Uh, we isolated the whole country. We went, wore masks. You, you understand what we all did. And, and then there was a lot of, argumentation about using uh other things like uh uh hydro was it hydrochloroquine yeah hydroxychloroquine hydroxychloroquine Mm -hmm. and what's the other one the you have ivermectin yeah Mm -hmm. and one of the things you said is that in typical issues like this we use the current medicines that we have as we work towards maybe working towards a indeed, vaccination. Indeed. Indeed, it, uh, whenever you have a new pathogen and you have a naive population, your first reflex... The pathogen is, is just a new disease. Yes, a yeah. new disease, a new germ. Yeah. And uh, a naive population, a population that does not have been, um, does not have um, antibodies against that uh, uh, pathogen. The, the first reflex uh, that makes a scientific meaning will be to use to to go back and check in the current um, arsenal of medicines, of drugs that you have, and to use them and see what is the potential efficacy or efficiency of the drugs that you currently have. And actually, with SARS-CoV-2, we were really well-grounded to do that, given certain uh, chemical structure of the virus. It looked like hydroxychloroquine might have the potential to be effective on it. And so will ivermectin and and certain drugs even. Uh, The reason why we didn't go that direction remains unclear. And uh, this is something, again, that would be part of our debrief later when the public health community gets together and uh, question some of the actions that we have taken. So, so that's, 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 a, uh, that's a really nice way to put it from a political <laughs> perspective because obviously it affected actually millions of people. And uh, I, know, I know at least my experience with 
cancer in our family is that when a cancer comes up, you use what you have as they're continuing to research to improve. Definitely. But you're only improving on what you have. Absolutely. So it appears like we had some things that could have been used, was not being used as we were waiting for the vaccine. That could have been at least tried. And uh, the problem, there were some studies that were going on, and then there is that uh, fake article that was published about hydroxychloroquine, and that's the scientific community is still amazed at what happened there. Um, how that article saying that hydroxychloroquine had some effect on the heart or heart rate of people who were taking it, and yet they will not show any data to make to support that um, assumption. And later on, it was found that there was even a conflict of interest with uh, the with the authors of that paper. And how did that that article was published in one of the most renowned um, scientific journal in the health sciences? That remains something that we again. So an article came out speaking about speaking negatively. Negatively about hydroxychloroquine, and uh, no, I mean the design. Every I mean the article was it was really a fake paper, unfortunately, and uh, that fueled some theories there. And uh, again. It's, it's, uh, when there is a pandemic, uh, unfortunately, some, you ask, you, human reaction can vary. Right. And uh, that, that's what happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, another question I have is, because we've, we've talked about this before, and uh, of course, uh, you know, for the average person, COVID-19 came out of nowhere. It's like it never existed until it came out of Wuhan. Mm-hmm. But we know that that's not true. Because how far back did we have a knowledge of COVID? Oh, we know that um, the coronaviruses are part of our ecology. So there are some very, there are about four different um, uh, families of coronaviruses that are, are, are even endemic, especially in children. Um, but the type of uh, the SARS-CoV-2. And some uh, some papers were published even back in 2015 from research that have been done, and that's called gain of function research, using uh, uh, those viruses. And there were some similarities. I see. So so uh, uh, were people grounded to suspect a leak from the Wuhan lab? The answer will be yes. The honest answer will be yes. Um, do we have proof of that? The answer is no. We have mm-hmm. so let me make sure I'm clear. Uh, mm-hmm. You're saying that that we don't know really what came out of Wuhan. Is that what you're saying? We we don't. We know that they were doing some gain of function research there, and we have papers that have been published um, uh, back in 2015 about. So they were doing mm-hmm. research in their in their science world there. Correct. Okay. Correct. And in the past, uh, to be honest, uh, in the past, we have had cases of leak from labs, even in Europe. So what's the extent to which that leak is related to the current pandemic? That is difficult to say. And I I don't know if we will have tools uh, to kind of determine for sure that, okay, that leak led led to the pandemic. Where we are today. Correct. Uh, But... as, is that as opposed to what happened in the supposed market place? We know today that what happened in that market 
uh, probably didn't start in that market. It didn't start yeah. in the market, mm -hmm. yeah. So it, was, mm -hmm. it didn't come from the bad. Uh, correct. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Although we know that coronaviruses are originally, they are seen in mammalians. So not only bats, we see them in camels even. And, right. uh, and, uh, and, uh, but uh, what happened in the war market is not necessarily correlated to the current right. pandemic. Right. Yes. Yeah. So what you're saying is something happened. We don't know exactly what we, it was. We don't, okay. unfortunately. Um, <laughs> well, I that there there's so many things we can we can talk about. Sure. <laughs> uh, in this particular area, um, and I don't know if if how I don't know what you'd be comfortable in saying. But you know where we are currently. So I'm, I'm, with with people that that will be listening to this program, um, you know, what would be your recommendation from a practical standpoint, just health wise, uh, where we are and moving forward? Number one, we have. I mean, fear is never a good advisor. And even we have some proof from a biological standpoint that when you are stressed and are uh, uh, in panic mode, your immune system does not respond the way it should. Mm. So uh, yes, we it has been a very difficult time, especially for the elderly population. The mortality rate is higher in that age group, but uh, never... Uh, give into panic mode. Right. Never give into panic mode. Number one, uh, we are believers. And it's nothing takes our Lord by surprise. Mm -hmm. It's all in his hand. Right. This is kind of our foundation, our premises. It's all in God's hands. It is our biblical worldview. Absolutely. And uh, and uh, and uh, from there we can elaborate strategies uh, as to how we develop a best response to that. And again, we know, for example, individual lifestyle, having vitamin D, high levels of vitamin D, mm -hmm. that has shown to be very protective. Right. Uh, actually, people are thinking there are some research that is still going on that this is why uh, continents like countries like in Africa have responded very well because of high levels of vitamin D. So I, I take vitamin D every morning. That, that, that's something that can help. Physical activity, good nutrition. I mean, healthy lifestyle, all, always, no matter what the pathogen is, that always helps. Right. And then we can, when we have, uh, we can take some precautionary measures. Like, I mean, uh, if you are a certain age, of a certain age, Getting vaccinated is not necessarily a bad idea when you're around 75, 80 years old, getting vaccinated. We know that vaccination prevents from the worst cases of a disease. Right. So that's a fact. That's established. Yeah, we know. Mm -hmm. We know, for example, our chairman of the board had COVID and he had been vaccinated. Correct. And the doctor said, had you not been vaccinated, Correct. he's 74. Correct. He probably would not have survived. Correct. Correct. So what you're saying is mm -hmm. it it. it it, it is it is positive, mm -hmm. particularly for those that are older. Today. Correct, correct. Uh, other than that, healthy lifestyle, trusting the Lord, 
those are always good advices to go through, no matter the pandemic, what the term of a pandemic. Could so where we are here at the university now is we, we, if our students get sick, they go to student health service. We do test them to see if they have COVID. If they don't have COVID, they go back to their room. They sleep off just like anybody would when they're sick. If they have COVID, we're, we're still continuing to isolate them for five days. Do you see that as a continuing necessity ongoing? If it becomes endemic, would it be something that they would just go back and do what would be typical? Um, if we reach the endemic phase, which is coming very quickly, uh, we want to kind of also follow that with a sense of normalcy. And, uh, and uh, if we reach the endemic phase, it will be it will be very sensical for us to consider removing all restrictions. And when do you have how long do you think that will be before we reach that? The public health community is very very optimistic at this point. Okay. And we are seeing removal of all restrictions in certain countries, uh, in Europe, and uh, and it's coming our direction, especially with Omicron. Omicron was a free vaccination yes and uh and uh it looks like we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel very good mm -hmm. all right well thank you dr cadio anytime really appreciate it this is really helpful mm -hmm. and i hope that the people that are that are listening will be encouraged by what they've heard uh, thank you for having me thank you god bless thank you for listening to this week's episode of highest potential with dr steve pettit don't forget to find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.